0: I remember reading about a Christian man traveling across America with his colleagues and they had to travel a great distance and they were heading for a business meeting and on the journey all kinds of topics were discussed. But he recalls that one of his colleagues was particularly vociferous about her atheistic convictions and he noticed that at any Turn in the conversation, uh, she propounded her reasons for not believing in a, a supreme God. That was until they hit black ice. And he recalls the sudden change in her tone that she was the most vocal in prayer, seeking God's help and deliverance and rescue. And as we come this evening to our study of this, this really important uh, part of God's Word, which gives us a, a biblical insight and assessment of unbelievers, uh, we will see that it teaches very clearly that every human being has a knowledge of God. They suppress that knowledge They reject that knowledge. They fight against the tide, the current in their hearts. But it is there in every single human being. Your neighbor, who is so anti-gospel, has that deep conviction and sense in the base of their being that the God of heaven exists. We come then to see the unpacking of that statement at the end of chapter 1 and verse number 18 eh, that people suppress the truth. Not just a, a clue to God's existence, not just a foggy idea of his being, not just a puzzle which they have to unravel, but the truth is there, not just in the Christian But in the non-Christian as well, that there is a supreme being in heaven. And these verses are are so important for us in evangelism, in prayer, in witnessing, in, in your relationship with your work colleagues, in sitting on the train and on the bus. There is this innate, inbuilt, instilled awareness and conviction and knowledge of the living and true God in every living human being. We've looked at the introduction to Romans, as you will be well familiar with now, in that greeting section in verses 1 to 7. Uh, we thought of the prayer, that unanswered prayer of Paul, though we have discussed whether prayer is ever unanswered. We've thought of the theme set out in verses 16 and 17 of this great theological treatise of the gospel of God's righteousness. And now we've begun to go down into this valley, into this dark and uncomfortable place of Paul proving logically, clearly, patiently, the sinfulness of all mankind Looking at all of us in chapter 3 and and we'll see how he he uses those inclusive terms, all and no one, so particularly. We'll see soon uh, that he addresses the Jews and and this is the bulk uh, of his treatise here. Jews whom he encountered in his missionary work in in synagogues and locations. But he begins in chapter 1 and verses 18 to the end of this chapter in addressing and considering Gentiles, people without the Bible and a knowledge of the Bible, people who didn't attend the local synagogue. And he's arguing and reasoning that they are without excuse. So we come this evening uh, to think of general revelation of this revelation of God uh, in creation, which those who don't have a Bible and don't have a church, don't attend a church or read a Bible, have. They still go out each day or look out from their their chair, their bed, into God's creation. And it is a book in itself. It is speaking to them. It is conveying a message uh, which can be read and learned. Let's think first of all of the contents of general revelation. We're thinking here of what nature reveals to mankind. What is it? What amount of knowledge does a person get from the world around us? Paul emphasizes that this knowledge is coming uh, from the creation in verses number 19. What can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them. Verse 20, his invisible attributes, his eternal power is perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In verse 20. And so from creation, from the things which have been made, there is this unveiling, this revelation of God. And this is a common understanding of the Old Testament, isn't it? And we were thinking and singing about this today. In Psalm 8, that nighttime scene, the psalmist looks up at the moon and the stars, which God's own fingers have made. And he praises God, how excellent in all the earth. And he feels small in comparison to the mighty works of God. Here are, is this area of creation, the night sky which is proclaiming the greatness of God. And then in Psalm 19, which is the daytime scene of the sun moving through the heavens, the psalmist also hears the the creation speaking this message, a revelation of a God who is great and powerful and majestic. So from the creation, the Old Testament understands God is speaking. The psalm goes on to talk about the universal language of creation in Asia and in China and in Europe, whatever location, whatever age, whatever position geographically, the heavens, the earth, the creation is addressing this message to all of humanity. But what is the message? What amount of information is being conveyed? What are are the the bodies in the heavens and the, the creation on the earth able to say? What can they communicate? And Paul's really clear here. He sets it out for us. He says, the invisible attributes of God are revealed. It's this oxymoron What's invisible is seen. That's what's going on in this revelation of God and his creation. The invisible God, and this is a a dominant position within Scripture, emphasizing that no human being can see God. We, We would die, the Bible says, if we see God. But that unseen God in his grace and mercy and goodness makes himself known. And one way in which he does this is in the work of his hands. His his fingerprints are are on the works of his hands. The hallmarks of his being are on the works which he has performed. You bargain hunt addicts will see the, the experts bringing out their magnifying glass and looking at the the silver plate to find the hallmark and the incredible amount of detail in that hallmark. God has set his hallmark on his works and that hallmark is revealing a considerable amount about his being. And what is that amount? What is the detail which creation reveals to humanity? Well, again, Paul sets it out here. He says in verse 20, his eternal power and and divinity, his eternal power, that he was there before the creation, that he is the uncaused causer, that the, the maker was not made, his eternal power. He has brought all of this out of nothing. The world is indicating, showing, Speaking, revealing that someone greater than the sky and the stars and the moon and the sun and the clouds has made this. What a being he must be. And every day and every night this message is being beamed down from the heavens and the earth to every Gentile, to every non-church person, to every being that doesn't open their Bible. This revelation It is coming to them. But not just his eternal power, but also his divine nature. That there is a a supreme being, a being greater than us. A being who has what we call the incommunicable attributes of his omnipresence and subsequently of his omniscience. Here is this being who knows no limits that we have, who has these incredible abilities and characteristics beyond what we are conscious of and able to exercise ourselves. This is beyond. The moral attributes of God, His goodness, His wisdom, His love, which we see in the creation. This is the divine nature. What makes God God? Things which are not reflected in ourselves. His omnipresence, His omnipotence, His omniscience. General revelation. Revealing the invisible attributes of God, Paul says. And what are those? Namely, he says, his eternal power and his divine nature. That he is a great God. That he is above us. That he is glorious. That he is almighty. I got my exhaust fixed, uh, much to the pleasure of my neighbours uh, and <laughs> members of my family. And no one in Newton would fix this. <coughs> and I had to go down Providentially guided, by the way, and that's a long story, uh, to this mechanic up a little lane, tattooed guy in banger, But he did it. And his workmanship reveals his skill. He's a cut above. And here's God and he's above, isn't he? Above all. And his workmanship is revealing his invisible attributes. your neighbor today, they didn't come down to church. They didn't sit beneath with humility and repentance and faith God's revelation and Scripture. They took their family down to the beach in Millisle today, but they were still hearing the revelation of God as they looked at the sea and at the sky and at the hills. God was speaking to them that he is eternal, that he is powerful, that he is divine. This general revelation, the contents of this general revelation, to ponder this, to think of this, That our neighbor has this beaming down to them, coming to them, speaking into their soul day by day. But the second point we want to think of here that the the apostle uh, makes and considers is the clarity of general revelation. And and there's an important point, and and you've probably begun to think about this point already. And and this distinction, uh, which is discussed and considered between the knowable and the known. Okay, God's invisible attributes are knowable from creation, but are they known by every unbeliever? Is this just a, a possibility? Uh, what's John Murray? He, he puts these two words, the design of God, or the the result of God. The design is to reveal himself, but is that realized? In the the hearts of unbelievers, do they know God? My children play uh, this this game, a word game. Uh, There's usually eight letters and then there's a crossword attached to this and then you're to make the words for the crossword from these eight letters. So the answers to the puzzle are knowable. but often they come and ask you the answer because they're not known. And that's our point now. Yes, this revelation of God is knowable in creation, and is that all there is? The knowability of God, the possibility, or is God actually known in the depths of the hearts of unbelievers? The design is to reveal, but is that design fulfilled? Is it a result in the hearts of the Gentiles who had no church or no Bible that they had an interest in? And I would argue that God's revelation and creation is not only knowable, but that it's known. It's not only his design To reveal. But the result is that he does reveal. And that every unbeliever, in the depth of their being, has the truth, knows God, and so they are, Paul says, without excuse. See the terminology eh, that Paul uses here in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. So here's the knowability. There is this revelation, this clear revelation in the heavens, in the earth. It is there, it is speaking, it is manifesting the invisible God in the works of his hands, that knowable revelation. It's all around us. But the apostle goes, goes on and he says, in verse 21, they know God. They know God. Not only is there the, the knowability, but there is the actual knowledge, the truth, by being made in God's image, by that intuitive response to the world around us, that innate religion which God has encased in the base of our being, there is that deep sense, conviction and recognition that God is known. Thomas Reiner comments, God has stitched into the fabric of the human mind his existence and power so that they are instinctively recognized when one views the created world. Our Prime Minister recently has been heavily reprimanded eh, for his his behavior in lockdown. And we we don't have a, a beef with that, but it was confusing, wasn't it? Scotland had their rules. Northern Ireland had its rules, England had its rules, Wales had its rules. It was so hard to keep up with what was going on, what you were allowed to do, that the message was was so confusing. But not this message. See, Paul's language. What can be known about verse 19 is plain to them. Verse 20 his invisible attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation. So there's not only the, the knowability of God, the possibility that, that someone in, in, the, in the wilderness will, will, will somehow look up to the sky and say, maybe there's a supreme being there. It's far more than that. That within every heart there is this instilled understanding, knowledge, sense, conviction, what Paul calls truth in the base and depth of being. The clarity of general revelation, the contents of general revelation, and thirdly, the consequences of general revelation. The point then the apostle is driving at now is how are we to respond to that? This revelation of God, this revelation that's clear, that's plain, that's instilled into every human heart. How are we to respond to this revelation of a God who's eternal and powerful, a God who has these divine attributes of omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence? How should man respond to this being whom he knows, whose handiwork he sees every day? Paul says we should honor him. In verse 21, we should honor him. That is a response to such a being. And that is an innate response in in humankind. The Queen's honors list comes out every year. This is what we do. We honor people who perform well those who develop a new vaccine, those who progress science in some way, those who are most outstanding in their involvement in the community, people who are outstanding and outperform. We honour them. This is the human reaction to excellence. Their OBE, their CBE, their knighthood. And so humanity, in seeing this outstanding being revealed in the heavens and in the earth. The proper response the apostle says is we should honor him. They do this in in heaven, don't they? And we will by God's grace. Revelation 4.12 They fall down before him cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory, honour and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That's the response that we are to have to this revelation of God in creation. This is the response of the glorified beings in heaven to God's creative work. They fall down before him with honor and worship. The second response the apostle identifies in verse 21 is to give thanks to him to praise him for the beauty of his creation, the suitability of earth and its atmosphere to mankind, for the harvests that he grants us every year, for each season, for each sunset and sunrise, for horizons, for starry skies and landscapes, for oxygen, for blue seas, for green grass. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is a model of this response without a Bible, without a synagogue, a centurion of the Italian cohort. He's described as one who feared God and as one who gave alms and as one who prayed night and day. Here was a man who didn't have the special revelation. He had the general revelation of nature and he responded to that by giving thanks to God. But that, Paul says, is not the general response of humanity. In verse 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Although they knew God, he says, although that revelation was not just knowable but realized in their life, they knew there was an absolute, supreme, glorious being. But such was the fallenness of their hearts It's nothing to do with the the, the lack of plainness of the revelation. It's to do with the the, the recipient's fallenness. That rather than honor him, rather than thank him, they turn, as we'll see in, in our future studies, to all kinds of foolish and futile and sinful practices. contents of general revelation so there's no real atheist then is there despite the figures being incredibly startling 40% atheists in the United Kingdom 15% agnostics despite those statistics there is no real atheist Everyone, in the depth of their being, knows God. Not savingly, but they know Him. The truth is in everyone. It's suppressed in many. Unrighteousness is chosen instead of the truth. But it's in them. Present, latent, active despite Richard Dawkins' promotion of atheism, despite David Attenborough being a prominent figure in agnosticism, we know them better. Informed by this incredible, insightful, inspired analysis of unbelievers that they know God. They suppress that truth. They're uncomfortable with that truth. Some theologians seek to minimize this general revelation and they argue, well, since the fall, the light of revelation is dimmed. And since the fall, the eyes with which we perceive that revelation are blinded. But Paul's writing after the fall. They know God. They suppress the truth that's in their heart. And surely this helps us in in witnessing and praying for unconverted people. When we begin to speak to them about the love of God and the justice of God, we we have this immediate connection because in the very depths of their being, they know that there is a God. and We're building on that knowledge which is innate. Within every unbeliever, however much they resent this or reject this knowledge of a supreme being. Wasn't this what Paul did in Acts 14 and Acts 17 when he was in Athens? Here he was among pagans, people who didn't attend church, people who'd never read the scrolls of Isaiah or Deuteronomy. And he started with their general Knowledge of God. And he took them on to talk about the God of redemption. And salvation. And forgiveness. The clarity of God's revelation. It's a big problem for a lot of people. A lot of Christian people. What about those who have never heard the gospel? What about those tribes who have never had a missionary come to their shores? What about people in Glasgow or in Dublin or in Cork who who have not had a Bible or or opened the Scriptures or been in a church? What, What about them? This passage, it really helps us. Paul is really clear and will be clear in the second chapter as well. He says, they are without excuse. They do have light Clear light, plain light. And they know it's not just the knowability. They know there is a God who is eternal in power, a God who has these attributes of omnipresence and omniscience. They know this. But they're suppressing that knowledge and that truth. But this is how I think it works. I think that anybody who responds to the light that they have, God will give them more light. Cornelius is the case in point. He responded to the lights he had. He feared God. He gave alms. He prayed to God night and day. And what did God do? He gave him the light of the gospel. Missionaries have turned up in remote tribes without a Bible, without a church, and they found them praying that the God of heaven and of the sun will show them how to live. And your neighbor and family member, responding to the light that they have, though away from church, though in another land, God in his mercy and in his plan and in his normal way of acting will bring the gospel light to them. The consequences of general revelation, honor and thanks. Let that be our response to the general revelation and The superior special revelation that we have, the special revelation which is explaining to us the general revelation, honor, and thanks. I was interested at the prayer meeting tonight that John asked us to to thank God, and I've always been interested in that challenge because usually we can't do it. At Synod, there is this time of thanksgiving. And, and most people fail. They get halfway through their prayer and then they start asking God for things. You try it sometime at home just thanking God for, for his blessings and, and we really struggle to be able to do this. And why is that? Perhaps it is that we haven't studied general revelation enough. That we haven't been overwhelmed by the vastness, the greatness, the wonder of the world that God has made do you notice that many of the psalms of praise and worship are suffused with general revelation? This is the psalmist soaking in the wonders of the power and eternal being and omnipresence of the God who has revealed himself in the world out there. As we study that general revelation perhaps within our hearts there will be strength in this honour. This thanksgiving which characterizes the glorified spirits in heaven. And so in creation there is an amazing, a wonderful, a universal revelation. But it's not enough. It doesn't tell us about Jesus and his love and his death. And we need the special revelation of God's word to do just that. And so let us pray for the prospering of Bible translation societies that God's special revelation will be taken to every tribe and people who only have general revelation. Let us pray that groups like Asia Link will be able to reach all those unreached peoples which they desire to reach. Let us think about being involved in some mission or outreach over the summertime to bring the special revelation of Christ to others. Let us, in this week, with a little more love, And a little more appreciation. Take up God's special revelation in our own hands. And in our own hearts. Read of Jesus' grace, forgiveness, and life. With a new appreciation.